0: so today's reading actually includes three stories but we're going to primarily focus on the story of two very impressive biblical characters simeon and anna our story today actually comes before the story that we dealt with last week so i apologize for that got out of order a little bit but it actually happens before the magi visit and I think it'll help us if we just put this into a broad timeline for you to help you understand where we're going with these stories, particularly to do with the nativity. Most scholars agree that Jesus was born early 4 BC. Now, that sounds completely crazy, because how can he be born four years before Christ? Well, Uh, The answer is quite simple in that there was a Roman monk, mathematician, astronomer, whose name was Dionysus Exus, known to his friends as Dennis the Little. I suppose if you had a name like Dionysus Exus, your friends might call you something else. So his name was Dennis the Little, and he unwittingly committed in the 6th century A.D., uh, probably history's greatest numerical cal- error as it relates to the calendar. He tried to uh, reform the Western calendar to center around Jesus' birth, and he erroneously placed the date of the founding of Rome uh, 753 years before the birth of Christ. And the problem was that Herod, King Herod died 749 years before, Um, after the founding of Rome. So there was this gap of four years that he had miscalculated, and it's just stuck with us ever since. It's kind of accumulated, and uh, some scholars even place the birth of Jesus as far back as seven years BC. Um, But most scholars agreed Jesus was born round about 4 BC, at the beginning of 4 BC, and uh, King Herod died towards the end of uh, 4 BC. Now we know that because of the Roman census, Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem from their hometown of Nazareth. To the idea, is this thing going? Okay, so let me just do one of two things. I'm going to change the batteries, although it's sound guy too. (laughs) Okay, so Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem from the hometown of Nazareth, and contrary to the idea of of Jesus being born in a stable, he was most likely born in the lower room of a house. Uh, the Bible declares there was no room in the Cataluma is the word. The only other time in the Greek New Testament where that word cataluma is used is used when Jesus held his last supper in the Cataluma, the upper room which would also have been called the guest room. Those first century houses, most of them were like double story houses. The bottom section would have been used for the kitchen and kind of living area and upstairs would have been a room or possibly two rooms. So there was no room, not in the inn, there was no room in the guest room, in the upper room. And therefore, he would have been bored downstairs, probably in the kitchen. And what they would do in those days is bring the animals in at nighttime. Remember, it's still the beginning of the year. Northern hemisphere would have been end of winter. So they bring the animals in at nighttime. Their few family animals would have come in, and there would have been a manger there in the kitchen for overnight snacks for the animals. So if you've never thought about this before, Jesus was not born in a hotel or an inn or a stable. He was born in a kitchen, most likely. Was that fun? Okay, after that, the shepherds visit following the angelic announcement. And then eight days later, and that's where we pick up the first of our three stories today, Jesus was circumcised and given his name. This probably didn't occur in Jerusalem. It would have occurred in the synagogue in Bethlehem where they were staying at the time in their family home. And uh, a priest would have done that either in the synagogue or even come to the house to do it because they would do that as well. And then at least 41 days after the birth of Jesus, because the law stipulated that a woman should wait 40 days after the birth of her son to finish her purification. So at least 40 days, probably 41 days or more, Mary and Joseph then went up to Jerusalem to offer a a sacrifice of a dove or two pigeons, which signified they were poor ordinarily parents were to bring a lamb for the burnt offering but because they were poor they were permitted to bring a pair of doves or two young pigeons the fact that mary bought no lamb and only two pigeons is a clear indication that is a clear indication that they were born into poverty Um, i've heard preachers tell Uh, wonderful stories about how Jesus must have been born into a wealthy family because he stayed in an hotel. I mean, wrong on every account. The fact that he only brought, his parents only brought these two doves or pigeons uh, tells us that they were poor. It also tells us very clearly that the Magi had not yet visited. So our story of last week comes after our story of this week because if the Magi had already visited, they would have had very wealthy stuff with them with which to buy a lamb and present the proper sacrifice or the the full sacrifice. Uh, They had gold and they had frankincense and they had myrrh. Unless, of course, Mary and Joseph were very, very deceptive. They had all the money, but they just gave the doves. Like some people in South Africa are doing. I heard on the news the other day, 30,000 people have already been identified as defrauding the national funding scheme of the country. 30,000 people who earn more than 350,000 rand a year who have sucked in to the national funding scheme and claim poverty. They register their grandparents as the guardian or an uncle or auntie or something else, and they just rape the government. I just hope they get nailed properly. Can't deal with that sort of deception. Anyway, that's where we pick up our story today. We've backtracked a bit, but let's go back to before the Magi's visit in Luke chapter 2. On the eighth day, verse 21, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. That's story number one. When the time of their purification, starting story number two, according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, this little Jewish family kept strictly to what was said in the Levitical law found in Leviticus chapter 12. The book of Leviticus was basically a, a worship manual in Israel. And the purpose of this was to show very early in human history that the way to peace with God was through sacrifice. Obviously, ultimately pointing towards the sacrifice of the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world so this little family does everything according to the levitical law and even though jesus was sinless even though jesus needed none of this according to galatians 4 4 he was born of a woman and he was born under law therefore he fulfilled everything that needed to be done according to the law And obviously it was Joseph and Mary's uh, aim to live in perfect submission to the plan of God. And they observed this Old Testament purification rite for the male child and following the woman's birth. They were careful that Jesus was brought up in strict accordance with Jewish law. Jesus came from a family that sought to honor the Lord. Now, at the temple, he would have been routinely received by the priests. They apparently did not know or didn't care who he was. But we find two elderly saints at the temple, and they knew who he was, and they lovingly welcomed him, the Messiah of Israel. And our lesson today centers around those two. Let's read from verse 25 now. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. Yes, my own son was named after him, Hmm. who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. The text is unclear there. It could read, and she was widowed for 84 years. So she could have been 84, or she could have been about 106 or more. She was very old. 84 isn't old. 106 is. So let's make it 106 amen all of those eight, over 80 shout amen yeah 84 is not old okay verse 38 uh, she never left the temple worship night and day fasting and praying verse 38 coming up to them at that very moment she gave thanks to god and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of jerusalem when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town, Nazareth. And the child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Story number three, for verse 39 and 40, which we're not going to look at today. Uh, Luke's gospel leaves out the fact that they went back to, to Galilee, Uh, to uh, Bethlehem. Doesn't make it incorrect. I'll explain those seeming contradictions next time. Uh, They actually went back to Bethlehem from here, and then they went down to Egypt according to Matthew's gospel, and we can fit that all in without any contradiction at all. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I thank you for your wisdom upon our lives. In Jesus' name, thank you. So let's just look at some background at these two characters that we're going to look at this morning. Firstly, Simeon, a devout, probably older man, to whom the Holy Spirit had revealed that before he died, he would see the Christ. Not much is known about the Simeon. He was likely in Israel what we might call a lay person. What we do know is that he was righteous or just, and devout, and that means simply that in conduct, he was respectful towards other human beings, and he was reverent toward God. Conditions in Israel at this time were tough at the time of Jesus' birth. Israel was occupied by Roman armies. There was the cruel King Herod. But maybe worse than all of that, the Pharisees had externalized religion completely. So faith in God had become everything to do with what I did on the outside. It's nothing about my relationship with God. It was about doing the right thing, following the rules and regulations, those thousands and thousands of rules that had been pulled out of the 613 actually that are only in the Old Testament. So we have got the Pharisees and the scribes externalizing religion, and then we've got the Sadducees, a smaller sect, but they were like the worldly-minded, secularized sect of the religious leaders at that time, much like what the church basically is like throughout the world today. So things were bad, and today it might seem to you that things are bad and that the church is really messed up. But I want to tell you that there is hope. See, no matter how discouraging the times were, no matter how dark and disparaging it was, God always has a remnant. He always has those who are followers, true followers of him. And Simeon was one of those, one who looked for the consolation of Israel. The term consolation was a name applied by the Jews to the Messiah. And e- eagerly, uh, Simeon was expecting the Messiah to come and rescue his people. He knew the promises of Isaiah about how the Messiah would comfort or bring consolation to his people. For example, Isaiah says in verse 49:13, chapter 49:13, shout for joy, O heavens, rejoice, burst into song, O mountains, why? For Yahweh comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Isaiah 52, 9, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. Why? For the Lord has comforted his people, consoled his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. Isaiah 66, 13, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted or consoled, Jerusalem. So Simeon was moved to go to the temple at a precise hour, precise day, the very time when Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple. When Simeon sees the baby Jesus, he takes him up in his arms and he blesses God or praises God. Simeon just knew this very child was the Messiah and his joy and exuberance just expresses his gratitude. He then offers praise to God in a song. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Glory to your people. That word dismiss in my Bible, translated dismiss, literally means release. So Simeon, now that he saw the Messiah, was asking to be relieved of his earthly duties. He was saying, I've seen it. I don't need to see anything else. I don't need to live another moment. Kind of absent from the body, present from the Lord. That was Simeon's response to seeing his Messiah. While his physical eyes only saw this little baby spiritual sight saw the salvation which was now available for all people and the glory of the nation of israel we know that the average jew was looking for a political messiah looking for someone to overthrow the yoke of the romans occupation but god had something so much better So much more wonderful, so much more unthought of, ununderstood. He had the Messiah who would save people from their bondage of sin. As I stressed in last week's story, this Messiah, this Jesus, his purpose is not primarily to make you happy, to make you healthy, to make you wealthy. His purpose is not to do what you tell him to do. You call it asking, but most of the time we're telling him what he should do and what he shouldn't do. He was here to bring light and glory to all people. He did come to seek and save the lost. And his presence really manifested the presence of the glory of God. As John wrote, I have seen, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. After Simeon had uttered his song of praise, he says to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The attitudes people show towards Jesus, the response that they give to him today will decide the eternal destiny. He has come to cause the falling. Those who reject the Christ will, be fought, will fall and be subject to an eternity in hell. Excluded from the kingdom. And I don't care how much you reason and logic and try to explain away. If you reject the Christ, hell is your quota and your portion. And yet those who accept him will rise to an eternity one day with him, welcomed into the kingdom. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I was reading a story this morning, not this morning, this week. I've just got to remember, if I mess it up, I'll read it again and come and tell you the proper one. <laughs> but it was one of these stupid things that <clears throat> this couple was Planning to get married, and they had this horrific car accident, and they were both killed, unfortunately, in this car. And they go up to the pearly gates, and there's St. Peter, and they say, Listen, we, uh, before we come in here, we, we need to know whether we actually can get married, because we weren't married on earth, and we'd love to get married. And uh, So St. Peter goes off into heaven, and he comes back looking very disheveled and upset and stressed and all the rest of it, a long time later. And he says, uh, the people, the couple said to him, what's wrong? You know, why why is this such a big issue? He says, "Uh, divorces we can deal with. We've got a few lawyers up here, but I couldn't find a priest anywhere. (laughs) Probably some truth in that. <clears throat> Jesus, in speaking of himself in Matthew let twenty-one forty-four says, He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. When we get to see our sinfulness, when we get to see ourselves as we really are, when we fall <coughs> into the hands of Jesus, it's got to break us into pieces. But I would much rather by four far in a million eternities be broken to pieces before my saviour than have my saviour fall on top of me. Because he says he on whom it falls will be crushed. It's that simple. <clears throat> then Simon also Says that Jesus was a sign to be spoken against I mean even a casual reading of the gospel accounts illustrate how Jesus was slandered by his own people but just think about Jesus today think how easy it is to talk about the man upstairs but mention Jesus and the person you're talking to will just shut up shut down have nothing to do with you. The world doesn't want to know about Jesus. Jesus is the one, dis- the one stumbling point for people across the, the, the religious spectrum. You talk about Jesus and it becomes an issue. Amen? That just happens. <clears throat> so he is. He is a sign to be spoken against. Used as a swear word most of the time. Then Simeon turns to Mary and talks about that sword piercing your own soul too. Just imagine this helpless baby would soon become the suffering and dying Messiah. And that sword which Mary would experience would be the pain of seeing her son dying on that cross. Anyway, that's Simeon. Some background to Anna before we get to our lessons. And they're short, so don't get upset. We are told that Anna was a widow, she was married for seven years, and then her husband died. She was the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, and thus from Galilee. Just the mention of the fact of her lineage says that she probably came from quite an important family, something of distinction. She was in the temple courts day and night worshiping God, so she didn't have to be prompted like Simeon was to move to the temple. She was just there. That's what she did, day and night, worshiping God through fasting and through prayer, longing for the redemption promised through the Messiah. She was at least 84 years old, and as I mentioned, but she never ceased to hope, maybe 106 years old. She was faithful in interceding for others. Her age did not deter from serving the Lord. In fact, verse 38 indicates that she was an evangelist in a sense. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. This was a woman who could have been bitter through sorrow. She could have been bitter. She could have been a skinnervek. She could have been uh, all sorts of things, but she wasn't. She was a woman of character and worth, and she was there when they brought Jesus to the temple. What lessons can we learn this morning? Lesson number one I've already referred to it God always has a remnant. God has a faithful, believing people reserved for him, even in the darkest of times. And as we see this world grow steadily darker, Doesn't mean we're on the losing side, we're on the winning side. But as we see the falling away, as we see the love of most growing cold, it's easy for us to become discouraged, and we mustn't do that, because God always reserves for himself a remnant, even in the darkest of times. Romans chapter 11 says, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me. Remember that story of Elijah feeling so dreadfully sorry for himself? Verse 4, and what was God's answer? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, Paul writes, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Let me tell you that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. There is always someone left. There was a lot in Sodom. There was an Obadiah in Ahab's household. There was a Daniel in Babylon. There was a Jeremiah in Zedekiah's court. And there was a Simeon in Jerusalem. And I'm hoping that there is whatever your name is in King Williamstown today. See, the true church may be scattered, it may be divided, but it will never die. God keeps a remnant for himself. And I want you to be encouraged this morning. After you've answered the question, am I part of that remnant? Lesson number two, the fear of death flees in the presence of Messiah. Simeon, for me, is an example of how a believer can be delivered from the fear of death. When he saw the Messiah, he was ready to be released from the limitations of the physical body and allowed to go to his eternal home. Now you can release me, Lord. Dismiss me. I mean, he didn't even have the full picture like we've got the full picture this side of the cross. But that was Enough. That foretaste, that baby whom he knew was the Messiah was enough for him to say, release me, <laughs> let me go. Sounds like the song. <laughs> He was looking forward to the time when he would be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he too shared in the humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. If you are afraid of death, then I want to say to you, you have not truly seen the Messiah. When you truly see the Messiah, when he truly understands that he has completely and 100% forgiven your sin, taken your place, taken your punishment, taken every bad thing that ever can come against you, when you truly see that, You can no longer be afraid of death because perfect love drives out fear. And I know there are many believers, many Christians who are still bound by the fear of death. COVID taught me that quite quickly. How many Christians were afraid because of COVID? Why are you afraid? Because I might die. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? You go to be with Jesus, bring it on in this world. Come on. The fear of death, friends, flees in the presence of Messiah when we truly seize him. And I encourage you, if you're sitting here today, I'm not condemning you, I've been there, I've walked the path, I know what you feel. If you feel like you, you're, you're terrified of what happens when you close your eyes for the last time, focus on the Messiah. Go back and understand. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, what does it mean to be saved? This isn't just a, a little prayer that I keep in my back pocket. Repeat after me prayer, and so I'm saved. No, 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 no. It's the Son of God who came sinless perfect and gave himself up on a cross so that I can live for all eternity. Hallelujah. The fear of death flees in the presence of Messiah. Now for you decrepit lot out there. Over 61s. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't care if you're 20. There are some 20 year old decrepits. I, when I look at Margaret, it, I won't tell you her age, but you know, come on. Some, some are just at like at 60, they are decrepit. At 50, they're decrepit. And I used it as an excuse. Oh, I've got this, 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 that. That's why I can't ever serve the Lord, because of da, 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 da. Anna was very old, and she could have used her age as an excuse not to be involved, not to care. But thankfully, she did not. See, there is work in the kingdom for those who are very far along in years. Here's Adam. Adam. Anna spending her time in prayer, in praise, proclaiming the truth about a Messiah. What a blessed way to spend your time in your declining years. Older people today are often freed up by retirement to pursue ministry in a way that they could not when they were still employed. Some people are longing for the day that they can retire. What do what go and work in my garden oh come on man when you retire that's the time you've got the time to truly serve the lord that perhaps you didn't have to fully serve him while you were providing for your family and your everything else there is always something to do always something to do Including ongoing prayer and fasting etc etc be encouraged by Psalm 92 which says the righteous will flourish like a palm tree They will grow like a seed of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord They will flourish in the courts of our God they will still bear fruit in old age They will stay fresh and green proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there's no wickedness in him. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Come on, man. Throw away those proverbial walking sticks. I'm not saying you don't need a walking stick, but that walking stick that's preventing you from walking in your spirit. Throw it away in Jesus' name. And start getting involved. If Anna can do it at a hundred and something years old, you can do it at whatever age you're at now. Hallelujah. Age is an excuse. It's never a barrier. God's word promises you greenness and freshness and bearing fruit. Probably more than before you got to so-called old age my last little lesson this morning, keep watching and waiting. He's coming. Sometimes it feels like he's just not coming. I mean, let's face it, there was a period of 400 years that God never said a thing. They call it the intertestamental period. So from the last time in the Old Testament that God ever said anything to his people through a prophet, and the New Testament when God started talking again, there seemed to be this silence of 400 years I mean just like is the Messiah coming will the Messiah ever come this book that we've been believing is it true is it valid is there really a Messiah could have been lots of things so don't give up I know that for many of you today that hope still beats loudly as the darkness around deepens and the moral and spiritual decay becomes more pronounced, this remnant of God's people are still looking for another prophetic fulfillment, the coming, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that day when he returns in great power and great glory. Matthew 24, Jesus said, Nobody knows that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. If you don't understand that, Jesus is speaking in his humanity on earth when he says he didn't know. Verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be coming at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch. Because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Friends, keep watch. You do not know when he's coming. We don't know. We can see the signs. We can see what's happening around us, but when he comes, it will be too late to do anything about it. I know when I was a little boy and I wanted to be naughty and I didn't want to do what Jesus wanted me to do, I would always think, yeah, just before Jesus comes, I'm going to repent and then I'll be okay. (laughs) When I hear that trumpet blast, I'm going to, sorry, Lord, for my sins, and then I can carry on doing what I'm doing. No. No. When he comes, it's too late. When that trumpet blows, it's over. We don't know when that's going to be. And I encourage you this morning don't grow weary. Keep watching. Keep waiting. He is coming. Let me summarize God always has a remnant. Are you part of that? I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church. Listen to me very clearly. I'm not asking if you're a member of a church or if your parents are staunch members. I'm not asking if you bring money to the church. I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you've been christened or you've been confirmed. I'm not asking if you're a good person or you're a better person than the person next to you. I'm asking you, are you part of that remnant? The Bible says quite categorically, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Are you part of that remnant? Do you have the Son? Are you living this morning under a cloud, of fear of death? Just look at Jesus. Stare long enough at Him. Look deeply enough into what He has actually done. And that fear must go. Perfect love will drive it away. And you can be free to live and to live properly. How old are you today? Are you young? Are you fresh? Are you green in the sense that you're new and budding? Not your chronological age or your physical age, but inside. What's happening? Age is an excuse, and it's not a barrier, to serving God and serving others. Man, we live in the age of technology. Do you know how encouraging it is just to get a WhatsApp from someone thinking of you, praying for you? Do you know how encouraging that is? It takes 10 minutes, 2 minutes, 10 seconds of your life. Depends how Good, your thumbs are. If you're like me, you type, cross out, type, cross out words. You know, you actually can't understand anything you've typed because I try this swipe thing and all these words come up, and you think, what was I saying again? (laughs) And then you go one letter at a time. (laughs) But you know how encouraging that is. And when you do that, you obviously thought about that person, you obviously prayed for that person, that situation that's been brought to your mind. You just take a minute and just pray for them, pray for their situation, their circumstances, and the WhatsApp goes. It took two minutes of your time in total, and it's made their lives sometimes. you know how encouraging it is just to get encouraged, just to be prodded? I just came through a birthday. I mean, what incredible encouragement. I I can't thank people enough. I just sat and I wept. It was just like... What? You know, you don't know me. Why are you saying these nice things? I'm not going to give you anything back. You know, you're not getting anything from me. I'm not paying you to do it. What's going on here? It's just like we live in this age that we can do things so quickly and yet so successfully. Come on. Age is not an excuse. I mean, age is an excuse. It's not a barrier. And number four, are you ready? Keep ready every minute of every day. If he comes, will he find me ready? Amen.